everybody. Welcome back. We are the Exorcist TV show podcast, The Devils in the Details. I'm Tina. And I'm Zoe. And I'm Gaia. And we are today rewatching and discussing episode five of the first season called Through My Most Grievous Fault. As we traditionally do, this is going to have spoilers. Uh, we'll probably talk about the whole season and possibly even season two spoilers too. So if you haven't watched those two seasons, do go watch those, please. A quick summary of what this episode was about. Marcus and Tomas are first doing the exorcism. They first actually have Casey actually in chains and there is also Henry and Angela have a lot of tension because Henry is getting suspicious about who his wife even is. So there's a lot that's happening in this episode. So, okay, let's go ahead. Let's get right into it. The first scene, the opening sequence packs a punch. We already have, you know, a great, um, you know, the drop down camera that goes right into Marcus and Tomas in the alley. I feel like this is a scene that has been gift. It has been clipped. Um, it's a great opening sequence as well. So where were we with the with the opening sequence with Marcus and Tomas in the alley? So I love the opening sequence. I love the fact they use a craning shot. So they use a craning shot and then it pans down over them. But it's also isolated in the alleyway. So it's a very restricted view but it also makes you feel like something higher up is watching them. Whether it's like Pazuzu in the presence in the room is looking down on them or whether it's something higher is watching them. And then you're invited oh. to actually be on ground level with them to join into the conversation, which is a very human conversation after such a shot of like, like overhead, they're so distanced and then you get to be introduced to them. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. I, I hadn't thought of it as like, a, like maybe the god's eye coming down to like <laughs> peek in and see oh what's going on with my two favorite priests yes. oh they're talking yeah. about <laughs> king lear apparently <laughs> which marcus yeah. does reference as the place he grew up charn is it charnwood for forest charnwood that he mentions forest. where he's from yeah well yeah you're from that area aren't you well, i'm from england but i've, I've not been to charnwood <laughs> i've been to sherwood forest but not but like but not charnwood <laughs> But I think it's far more north than I am in the like the West Country. And then again, he's also sketching it in his Bible. And the emotional part is also uh, represented by Marcus talking about a little bit of his past. We see him talking about his mother, uh, who wasn't a good mother, but she was able to have nice work with him. So it's a very human thing to share with someone. Right, right. They don't reveal too much at this early stage of where he's from or what pain. Yeah. We know he's been through some sort of trauma just based off of how he acts the character. You can tell he's got a lot of reservations to talk about what he's been through. Uh, for good reason. I, I mean, I can't even imagine going through what he went through and still being able to, you know, operate like a human. Yeah. He's also, for his age... And the period of Britain and area he would have been raised in, he's got very much that kind of, I always read him as he came from one of those poor working class backgrounds in the north that were going through that kind of period when they were shutting down things like the coal mines and families mm -hmm. were really struggling and the economy was not going well and there was a lot of unemployment about, about 
males and stuff and there was a lot of domestic violence because of all the, the, the pressure system they lived in. And I feel like he grew up in one of those kind of particular environments that was very much part of British history at the time. And this same scene, it goes right into, uh, you know, the music, but then we also see a little bit of Angela. Um, and so, so there's like, you know, the sadness and the depth we see with, with Marcus, but now we also see Angela and she's also sad and frantic in this, in this next scene right here. There's some nice transitions. I think it, it kind of transitions from Tomas, who's quite like Marcus, who's quite reclusive, opening up and saying that Tomas has got like a good heart and he worries about him and that their connection. Then it filters into Angela, who, and at the same time as it filters in, the weather system changes. So they're sitting outside and then you start hearing the sounds of rumbling and then it filters in and the rains have come. So that moment of purity is over because something has come in to dampen the whole mood and atmosphere of the episode. And you can tell that. Quite Angela literally. Was, literally. <laughs> and yeah, which was something I want to wonderfully get into, but this that it literally channels into Angela now weathering the situation she's found herself in. Zoe, I am in love with you right now. <laughs> weather. I, I get everything you're doing. You're brilliant. Because <laughs> it's weather. Okay. Yes. But no, no, that sequence. So Angela, you know, at first she's just like, she's doing regular household things. She's spraying the window. She's like, okay, got to clean the window. But then she's like, oh, I see something on the corner. I'm going to go clean this teapot. So she cleans the teapot. And then... She she goes and sees mold on the ceiling, which is is not as normal because that's when you start seeing like that's not normal to have that much yeah. dark, gross mold in the corner. But it's clearly yeah. because it's right below the the exorcism room, and and so she goes. So it gets increasingly tense and and frantic. And I kind of want to get in that room and just be like Angela, calm down, man. Like breathe, yeah. take a step back. And then we see Henry come in, and he's being all. Henry. Yeah, but, basically yeah. Henry's been with Casey trying to kind of clean her and soothe her and then Casey has that whole moment where as Pazuzu he tricks her into coming closer and speaks the the truth to her right. and there's that whole right. yucky yeah. tongue moment yeah. and yeah. after that Henry is not <laughs> the same because he has heard the truth. Meanwhile Angela's still concealing it and her her desperate need to clean everything comes from, comes from the truth of what she knows about herself, the fact that she's Regan and how unclean she was and she can't clean Casey's soul. She feels her soul is still dirty and she is desperately trying to clean anything else she can. Not only that, not only that, she's cleaning her own imaging. She's cleaning. Yeah. She's cleaning the windows because she's seeing herself in the windows. Then she cleans the teapot because the teapot is a kind of mirror and she can see herself on the teapot. And she needs to be clean because she knows that a possession, what happened to her, left the stains on her soul. So she feels this oh, need to I, clean I, and clean because she feels unclean herself. Guy, it never occurred to me that she's seeing herself. That's why she's cleaning those particular yes, objects. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Because that, Is that supposed to be obvious? Because it's yeah. not obvious. Yeah, thing yeah, to me. It's the way she sees her reflection in things. Every time she sees her reflection is when she, she starts getting a little bit more manic. Okay. She's that's, dirty. yeah. She can't. Yeah, I don't know. Now, now it, makes, it makes more sense. That's, that scene means a lot more to me now. 
when he's going to leave the, the room and uh, Casey uses her voice to call back her daddy to whisper the truth into his ear. Uh, I think it's uh, a perfect little way in which we can see what the devil, the devil possessing someone tries to do to the whole family. Because we know that right now Casey is not really Casey, but the moment he wants to call back Henry, Pazuzu uses her voice. So what a demon really does when he possesses someone is to try to corrupt and to destroy everyone around this person. So I think we can see clearly the, the possibility of destruction that a possession can do to a whole family, to not only to the person who is possessed, but to everyone around this person. Right, right. Just because it's it, all it takes is just that little, like, nudge, you know, because the devil never, you know, pushes you off the ledge. It's well, their whole thing is all about free will, exactly. right? And well, I get to that happens a little bit in season in episode six, which we'll talk about the, the free will, and they, they very, yes, very much herald exactly. that. Yeah, that but it's the free will to either choose, but the devils, the demons, what they do is they just kind of say, okay, well, what about this? You know, have you thought about this? And then it's on the on the person to actually choose whether to act on that doubt or that anger or that sadness. Yeah, exactly. So, the next scene that we wanted to highlight is packed. Again, it's one of those more arc scenes than anything else, but for our purposes here, the exorcism, the start of the exorcism scene, we'll say. It's the when when Tomas and Marcus first start hearing the the stuff that's happening in the room and that's where we see the big climactic like Casey flying around with the chains and it's like it's full on. It feels like a movie. So um where were we with watching that? I mean my mind was blown. I was like, yeah, like full horror, like flying and shit's being thrown around. I was like, yeah, yeah, I was so into it. Uh so well where were where were y'all? So well done. So the scene has got so many layers that make it good. It is very well acted. Everyone who enters that room delivers a beautiful performance. For a television show, the kind of the cinematography and the budget, the effects make it look stunning. It really is quite horrific. It's scary, it's horror, but it also has a lot of drama and weight and character development to it as well. It's everything that goes through that these exorcism scenes work well yeah yeah i like that while she's flying around the room you actually hear the squealing pig noise like pazuzu is all about yeah. this whole debasing pig i'm gonna make her sound like a pig the sow is mine which carries over from the movie as well but you hear the it's that that shrieking that adds to that 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 cacophonous noise in the background, which horror, you know, fans love because it makes you go, ew, gross, ow, and it, it puts you in a state of unease. I loved it. I loved everything about it. All the swirling of the wind and the lighting. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect yeah. scene. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, from storyline point of view, it's all the fact that everything Pazuzu does in those earlier scenes is focused at Tomas rather than Marcus because he knows at that point Tomas is the weak link. And he doesn't even try and interact with Marcus until later. He's just like, I'm going to take this one out first. And I'm going to get to him first. 
Absolutely. So uh, Tomas is clearly the young cub that doesn't know what the hell he's yes. doing. And Pazuzu zones in on that immediately, you know, with Jessica, um, the hallucination there. And I think this is the moment he gets too bold. He's too sure of himself. He thinks that because Tomas is the weak link, he can break both of them. And he makes his first mistake. Bring her to me. So now we know mm. Casey is not the real target. We know uh, Pazuzu wants someone else. We know who he wants. But this is his, his first mistake. For the first time, he tells us something that we weren't supposed to know. So he gives uh, Tomas and Marcus a way to break him down because the first thing that Tomas, uh, that Marcus does is to demand to know who he wants in truth. Who? So yeah. We, right, right. He, he is too bold. He is too sure of himself. And he makes a mistake. Well, he reveals that right after he has successfully gotten into yes. Tomas's head and after he has successfully wedged the divide between Marcus and Tomas. So basically, to recap real quick, so if you all remember, he um, gets to Tomas by by pretending to be Jessica and is dressed in her, in, in, in it's still in Casey's clothes, which is, which is like, come on, Tomas, it's clearly still the demon. He's dressed as Casey, just happens to be wearing Jessica's face. But of course, Tomas, being all inexperienced, experience, walks in and allows the, the demon to get no, into no, his head. And so the demon no, no. says... Wait, 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 mm -hmm. moment. Uh, the first time he tries to break um, Tomas is uh, pretending to be Isabuela. And we know... Oh, and yes. we know yes. that Tomas yes. lied because when he tells the story of the first Mexican Pope, he says something oh, about yeah. that. That's what you tell that's what you are saying but it didn't went like that we don't know what Isabuela really told him why he made up this story but we know that he lied yeah and it, when I first watched this show when it went was live a couple of years ago it completely escaped me the fact that they implied that Tomas had lied the entire time. I didn't even realize what the demon was trying to get at. He's like, you were going to be the, the first El Papa Mexicano. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, sure. Great. Move on. Move on. Like I didn't have, had no idea, but he's, he's poking at Tomas to say, cause you lied about that whole thing, which finally gets revealed at the very end of this episode where Tomas is like, and yeah, we have, it was just and a story. And we have a doubt now because if Tomas didn't become a priest because his abuela wanted it. Why did he become a priest? We should remember that in the poorest part of the world, actually to be a priest, to study in the seminary is the only way to escape a situation of poverty or a situation of social being socially casted out. So does Tomas really believe in God or he doesn't? That's amazing. That's an amazing thing to to say. That's an amazing doubt to to like like that question of what was the motivation exactly. for him to actually choose exactly. this life of service does to God? Really, you know, was it an actual Does calling? he really believe? Does he really believe in God 
or was it only the easiest way to escape his life? Bingo. And we, don't, and we know. don't know. But if he doesn't believe, there is no way he can perform an exorcism. So he will be a, li a liability even bigger for Marcus than he is now. So even Marcus is, uh, okay, What what's going on? So I think that's exactly why I love that the demon also zeroes in on the, on that fact of he doesn't know whether he has his calling or not because he keeps putting Jessica. He's like, because you know you really also like, you know, the ladies and you're not allowed to be with the ladies as a priest. So he's like, you know, carrying her around as like the, on a silver platter, like, don't you want this too? And then like, I love too, where she's like, she even like, or the Pazuzu like does that creepy thing where she puts her hand under her shirt and is like smelling. <laughs> I, I don't hate that moment, like, but I hate that moment because I just I my it. brain just kind of goes, boob sweat is not sexy. There is just like <laughs> not sexy. Like I come back from the gym and my husband doesn't want to go anywhere near my boobs because it's just like, mmm, boobs don't they, they they don't smell like beautifully enticing. They are. They get sweat and they're, and I'm just like, this is not a sex <laughs> no, smell. but guys are very humans. We, we, as humans, I think we're very primal. And because he's so repressed, like even just the little smell of Jessica yeah. just gets him going. She, he's even like, Oh, don't you, I thought you liked the way I smell. And I'm even like, Oh my <laughs> God. Like, this is crazy. This is crazy. And then, and then Katie, I can't, I still can't believe to this day they got away with this on TV where, he goes um he he goes down <laughs> how do you say this in a diplomatic he way he, he goes down on her <laughs> yes <laughs> isn't that the normal thing you say you go down on someone yeah because they make the whole head no, joke just yeah, weird. I, I was like i am shocked by this and also i'm kind of having a snigger yeah so he gets kicked out totally marcus is clearly unimpressed and and so that's where marcus kicks him out right yeah. And that's yeah. where we get the big next deep dive scene of where Marcus and the demon are alone in the room, right? Uh, you know, and and that's where we have all the sequence where, where the demon's like, okay, I finally got rid of Tomas, so now I'm going to go yeah. after you and your traumatic background. Um, which Marcus is like, whatever. Throw yeah. what you got at every me. Brit I'm Marcus. I'm trauma. badass. Like every Brit has right. a traumatic background. We're totally used to being like, <laughs> You know, this stuff happens. Every one of us is trauma. You just kind of get over it. It's, it's so very British. Just rolls with but, it, yeah. But it was, but it's still a great yeah. sequence. What's fantastic? Okay, so basically, you go from like Tomas fails. He falls for the devil's temptations. He falls for Pazuzu's temptations, manipulations, mind games. Marcus is not impressed. They have one of those. Let's talk to. Well, Marcus has one of those. Let's talk to you as if. I must rub my face on you like there is no like, right there here. is no personal right space boundaries which uh, I've been, uh, I'm beginning to form a huge theory about that to, to do with like like something else but like it's one of his like there are no spatial boundaries and then he's just like just go just go be out of here the this same scene has also where we first see the 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 demon hallucinating um his mother we've never seen an actress portray his mother before I, I don't think we have but this is the first time we see his his mom talking uh to him about his some of his deepest and darkest fears which is where she says you was you was a mistake son i should have 
flushed you when I had, oh, I know, I know. I see you, Zoe. I see your face. It hurts. It hurts to even hear that because you're like, oh, <laughs> poor Marcus, my baby. I, I had a lot of feelings about it. Did, did y'all feel also equally like crushed and wanted to crawl into a hole when you saw that? Wanted to hold Marcus tight and go, you are loved. You are valid. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, please. It's, it's very, obviously, it's very demon to take his insecurities and his fears and to play. It's just her words are so cruel and they're so bitingly cruel and they're so his own fears. And, I mean, Pazuzu is cutting deep with this. And also because the life he's lived, it would be so easy for Marcus to accept that that's kind of a truth. And it's just testament to him that he can see it for what it is. Right. He even says to the demon, he's like, is that all you got? Yes. But for a while, you're just watching his face and seeing the pain and the hurt. And you can just see it like, I mean, it's Ben Daniels is phenomenal in these scenes because he goes from so soft and tender to so hurt. And you can just literally see the shine that's always perpetually on his eyes as if he wants to cry and the crumpling in his features to that hard stare and that like that kind of like stop he has of like no you can't get past yeah. this hard exterior no, I, I, I like that you you're mentioning about how how Benny Daniels is able to portray this like deep deep emotional like almost hurting sad part and then he transitions so quickly to like an angry badass like but is that all you got and it just reminds me like even while I'm watching the episode I imagine what somebody revealed about behind the scenes, like when they yell cut, he then transitions out of that mood and then he'll be like, oh, so I heard this joke one time. It's really funny. So and he'll just start like telling a funny joke, <laughs> like, yeah, and we'll, I mean, but it, like able to just transition from these heavy, you know, emotional scenes and then be like, oh, done. Like, how do you do that? How do you yeah. just go from these deep, heavy things to another mood entirely? British acting that kind of does it because it's the whole you every all the British actors have gone up through things like Raja where they do like Shakespeare and stuff and it's, it's like, like there's a lot of heavy heaviness to like the British like t- television industry that's different from the American television industry the way they teach them over here in which you can be like oh my god the tragedy so I heard this funny story because they're always yeah, great comedians yeah, yeah. and great dramatic actors <laughs> I have just one uh, one point to make for this scene. I think uh, it's the scene that shows you that a demon has power as long as you give him the power. Because Marcus already survived that truth. He knows. He knows his mother probably thought about him as a mistake. He survived that. So the demon doesn't have any weapon against him. A demon only got power over you if you allow you to take that power. Absolutely. No, it goes back to what we have inside of ourselves as, as humans is we have choice. We, we have one of the greatest gifts ever is reasoning, uh, reflection, and choice before we go i think we do need to mention a little bit about how they shoot this scene almost scene for scene five second by five second with tomas's scenes with jessica where he then makes the bad choice to go (laughs) with her 
Um, yeah. So while Marcus this is, is kicking butt and being bad awesome. Bad dog shit Tomas. And I'm like, no, roll, roll a newspaper, smack him on the nose. And I go, no, I, I, I'm angry at you now. Go sit in a corner. Yeah, I know. Well, but but I like how they're they're shooting it where he, every sequence where he's like finally giving in and he's having relations with her and they're in bed and you hear all the music that's building up, building up. He's like, and he's they're climaxing together, and that's where it transitions right into the climax of the demon whispering to Marcus in his face. Even though Marcus is just like has already told him, like, is that all you got? The demon says, "Ipse venit." which he later finds out is translated to he is coming. So I just think that was a cool little parallel because right as, as Tomas is having his own sexual release and then the demon two seconds later says, Ipsev, and it implying not only is the Pope coming, but so is your, so is little boy toy with Jessica. There is the important revelation that then the first time I watched it, I was like, wait, wait, I think, when um, Casey is trying, well, Pazuzu as Casey is trying everything to kind of find an angle into Marcus and is all like, oh, don't you want the little pig? Oh, lovely girl. Like, oh, well, I suppose not really your type. And I went, wait a minute. Did they just introduce the idea that Marcus is gay? And it was just like, yeah. they they dropped it. And then you kind of never heard it like, until like later on and you were just like and if you missed it or weren't really paying attention it could have just been a throwaway line but obviously me and my heavy shipper lgbt like obsessive was like wait a minute i think marcus is gay and yeah. that was such like um i was like holy moly that's a big thing to drop in all of this yeah marcus doesn't oh, yeah. even have time to like kind of even delve with those issues he's like no I've still got so many other things and I'm like, oh, this poor boy. Right, right. And but you know what I loved about that? Because they say it, the de- the demon says it. I didn't know that women were your flavor. He says it and Marcus doesn't even bat an eyelash. But it's just like, move on. I've heard everything in the book that every demon in the past that I've exercised has tried to throw at me. I'm confident in who I am. It's not something that's like, oh, no, like you totally, you figured me out. And I think that's because he made peace with himself. He is perfectly fine with himself. He knows who he is. He knows what he is. He is at ease with himself. And that's because he has a connection to God. He already realized that the the view about sexuality that we learn since we are little children at the catechism is something human is what humanity created it's not coming from god god created us with the possibility to love he doesn't care who we love he just care that we do Amen. I take that's exactly my belief system as well. It's, it's, and the fact that we do love, I think that's part exactly. of it. Like my belief system is that like, God, God doesn't care who you love. Like you're loving good love, 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 love. But if you're like trying to set divisions and set doubt amongst people and set fear, that's when you're following the path of darkness, man. Like you got to quit that. So I, I love that Marcus in, captures all that. He is so loving and passionate for people and no matter where they're from yeah. he's just gonna try to help exactly. them and cast out even because god demons. 
gave us the gift of love, so it will be a crime against him not to use it. The whole scene with uh, him and Casey is uh, the moment Marcus come back. Marcus is back into his game. Marcus is again, once again, able to use his power, his gift, because he finally realized the power to exorcise comes from God, not from the collar that was stolen from him. Are you talking? I agree completely. Yes, Are you talking about exactly. when he's doing the, when the, the sign of the cross? When he first sees the homeless woman, he has a crucifix in his hand and she doesn't even react because he has lost faith in himself. He, he, he really believes that because he was just excommunicated, he cannot be an exorcist anymore. Now, when he draws the cross over Casey's forehead, the demon is burned. So he is back because he now realizes that the gift comes from God. No one but God himself can take it from him. The next scene we wanted to talk about is where Henry has found the Bible in the closet and he thumbs through it and he's he sees at first uh, some sunflowers pressed in one section of it and then he goes to the next page and he finds the red feather and looks at it as becoming more and more suspicious again. It's like, what is this? Again, it's a simple little scene. I still think it's really cool how they how they added this in. The scene's a little foreshadowing, like it's dropping those little truths. And helping you piece together the like the pieces of like what actually is going on because at that point on the first watch through you have no idea what it is that Bazuzu whispered in Henry's ear but on the second see playthrough you're like obviously like Bazuzu has told Henry who Angela is and now we're seeing all the clues that make it so obvious you know to people who are fans of the movie uh, I think a lot of people had that light bulb moment of like, oh, like the red bird that was in the movie that symbolized that it was yeah. the first form, right? It was the first exactly. manifestation of Pazuzu. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't until rewatching the movie that you noticed like there was a manifestation earlier on and there was a little, there was a feather. But when I first watched the series, I hadn't put two and two together. Yeah, I never figured it out. I actually, on this rewatch, I paused it because I was like, I wonder if there was any symbolism to the page that they put it on. But knowing the writers, they're not unintentional about anything. So the the psalm uh, that it's in, it's on Psalm 5 through 9. So uh, that's the, if you open that Bible right there, that's where the, the red feather was placed. The psalms, if you remember, are the, the sequences in the Bible that have, they, they have a lot of like prayers directly to God. Like, I, I beseech you, my Lord, to give me patience. Um, psalm 6, for instance, is one of the first ones you kind of see on that scene is the plea for mercy, where it's saying, God, be merciful to me. I am a, a flawed uh, person and I'm not giving it justice it's way more it's way better than that <laughs> but but no no I just again I was just wanted, I wanted to throw out there do you think it was something intentional do you think they put that red feather there for a reason in the psalms or do you think they were just like put it in it well uh, it God Bible. having mercy is uh, something that a possessed person would ask because uh, without God's intervention there is no way you can get rid of a demon inside you. So it could be 
a prayer to God to look kindly over Casey right now and over Marcus too, because without God's help, uh, the the girl won't be saved. <laughs> or it could just be the exactly. prop person was like, exactly. stick it somewhere. <laughs> so he opens it up easily. <laughs> so we need to talk about yeah. Marcus's arrest because it's a big deal. Kat has just called the police with good intentions, but the police come. They obviously see a poor girl. They see a scary dude uh, and they arrest him. And then he is carted away, um, which I'm sure he's super happy about. I think the the biggest telling moment is when Casey's on the stretcher being taken out and Kat's like, I know I did the right thing. I worry about my sister. And then Casey looks at her and smiles and you see yeah. Kat's face go, oh, oh, I should have listened to everybody. I think I've made a mistake. It's just like... <laughs> It's such a just a, a literally the, the face is like crap, like crap, 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 yeah, crap, crap. Yeah. You can just see it. Her going, she should not be smiling. Oh, and really, Cat really did think she knew what was going on and knew what was best. And then it's just like, right. oh dear, no, no, it yeah. wasn't. They were so close. Yeah. Marcus was so close. Right. But the battle's not supposed to be easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't have a story to watch. You know, they, no, they... it would have been death. Which makes yeah, it like, yeah. so I like... brilliant television, but at the same time, you're like, oh my God, Tomas, if you weren't seduced by fucking boob sweat, you could have saved this girl. <laughs> yeah. The problem is that Marcus was so close, and now he knows what's going to happen because... Uh, the demon will have more time to make her hold over Casey even stronger because now he knows that Marcus is strong enough to defeat him. So he will try even harder. Another thing uh, in this scene is that we are shown finally that not only women can be corrupted and possessed, Mark, uh, Thomas is failing because he is human, but a woman is used to seduce him. So not only women can be seduced by the dark side or seduced into sinning, because we are all human. So we are all weak the same way. It doesn't matter our sex. Marcus tells something to, to Pazuzu. He uh, calls him weak because he is possessing a woman, so someone who is supposed to be weaker. Now we know and we see that even men can be weak to another kind of seduction and possession. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No. The, the demons don't care what gender you are. They're going to just go after you because you're, you're human, that you're out there. Yeah, and potentially could do good, and they stand for all opposite of that. So it's like, let me kill anything that has the potential to create something that I hate, and I hate goodness, I hate light. And uh, that's what good storytelling is, this constant battle for the for who will win. I feel like I also forgot about Bennett. Like, Bennett yeah, comes and bails Marcus out, and he gives him his Bible back. Yeah, and then that whole time that Marcus is sitting in it, and he's kind of rubbing his shoulder, like literally the pressure. I mean, like obviously they've manhandled him and they've hurt his shoulder. He's not been treated kindly, 
but at the same time, like he's really holding on to it. And he can literally, the weight of the world is on his shoulders and he's putting the pieces together and he sees the biggest picture. And he's like, that pain and that regret and that pressure of putting it all on himself to have saved Casey. Oh, that's perfect. Like this is, I was wondering why they were he chose to like do that particular because they really just that's he just stays like that for a good like fifteen seconds and and so I was like, man, like this guy needs a back rub. <laughs> but it, it but I get now the more the symbolism of it of that that sounds a lot better than my interpretation of just take some Tylenol. <laughs> but um, but can we just at least talk about like Bennett giving back his Bible and Marcus? I think somebody on Tumblr wrote this. I'm not going to take credit for this, but they were like, "Come on, Marcus! Like Bennett just bailed you out, gave you back your totally redacted and defaced Bible. The least you could do is say thank you." And Marcus is just like, "Huh," and like walks not, away all not emotional. Only. <laughs> not like, only emotional, but uh, instead of say thank you. He tells Bennett that there is a conspiration against the Pope. So the Pope is in danger right now. And Bennett is probably yeah. expecting a thank you at least. And now he knows that the Pope, the Pope will probably will assassinate it under his watch. And he's like, I shouldn't be here right now. I should be in Rome or far away from this yeah. I need a vacation. I need a break. <laughs> I don't. The world could be coming to an end, Marcus. You can spare you. two yeah. seconds to say thank you, Bennett. I appreciate. <laughs> Grumpy Englishman. Grumpy Englishman. Yeah. Is he? What is he? Bennett clearly is just like I don't want to be with this man, yeah. but I love him for some reason. And Marcus is the same way because he's like Marcus is a little <laughs> thorn in Bennett's butt, but he cares for him. <laughs> Marcus yeah. is like. That friend that everyone has, that is a nuance, but you still love him, so you still keep him around. <laughs> okay, so we are on Thomas's scene in the church. Angela joins him soon, and we'll call this scene the confession. A lot happens here. I love the sequence. Thomas walks in. For those who are still trying to remember it, he walks in. He's he's just coming off of like, oh my god, I just slept with this woman. I am a priest. He falls to his knees. Um, with this whole theme of of confession, that is when we first because we have to talk about it. This is where it first reveals like her most grievous fault, which was keeping the fact that oh, holy from all of us, not just from Thomas and Marcus, but from every single audience member watching, you lied to us. You didn't tell us that you were Regan McNeil. Ah! Yeah. I was so truly flabbergasted. I mean, I'm so good with plot twists. I'm so good at spotting things a mile off. Did not see it coming. Did not think they were going to be so intricately linked. Like my heart was actually like beating really fast because that's when it first started falling into place. She's like, this actually like happened to me when I was a young girl and I was, uh, there was a book made and my mom, and I was like, wait, wait, is she? <gasps> no, no. And I was like, I literally like got up and I like, you've seen, you've seen me like in my energy. I literally like, got up off the couch. I was like, no, <laughs> screaming. Yeah. It's Reagan. That it's Reagan. Had an imaginary friend. It was Captain Howdy. I'm like, wait a minute. I know who <sighs> Captain Howdy is. No, no. 
No. And then they show the Bible. And then the Bible says, two rags, love mom. I'm like, rags, Reagan. Ah. And then they show the mom. The mom's coming with her exorcist hat. It's not actually the exorcist hat. That's another kind of like twist. They're like, it's not an exorcist. It's actually Chris McNeil (laughs) getting out the car. I'm like, this is so genius. Oh, it was just so well. The fact that they managed to keep that from us is... (sighs) good like nothing manages to keep that under wraps as well as it did so so let's get into our writers and we've got unless we've got other things that we want to talk about I've with the deep dives one, not deep dives i'm i don't know what i'm going to call this separate section but <laughs> i'm calling it the the i don't know the zoe horrifically <laughs> objectifies marcus section yes Can we no that is a, yes arm porn like, I don't know what you call them in your respective places, but what Marcus was wearing for a lot of this episode is called a wife beater, which is a wife horrible beater. term for those tops and is generally associated with people who drink too much Stella Artois. Like, come on, the guy's meant to be a priest. And I'm just like, this guy has arms. This guy could fight for you. This, And I was just like... Okay, wonderful, wonderful, poignant scenes. And I am being very intelligent. And I'm going, I'm going to save all my horrific objectification. But I can't help it. He's a very wow. fine actor. Very, And he has that, the sexy smolder, I'm going to kill you. But I kind of would be happy because it, you look like like that. He has that, <laughs> oh my God. Intensity. And he does it in this episode. And, he, and it's, it's those arms and it's the way his body prowls and he's so comfortable in that skin like mm-hmm. i get that tomas is attractive but tomas is a little nervous about his sexuality it's like tomas is a pretty guy but he's not sensual in the way that when i look at marcus scenes i go i'd lick that and the, the arm porn did you say i'd lick that or i like that did you say i'd lick that or i'd like that i'd lick that i'd lick that that's my go-to place. Agreed. If you like it, you should lick it. Lick it. <laughs> lick it. Oh, I... So, yeah. Our... No, please go on if you want to go... No, no, I don't think everyone needs to really hear me, like, you know, slightly mark <laughs> out to how much I want to lick Marcus's arms. But he's got, he's got something. And it was. I was like... And, I mean, the show knows it, because there's no way you would put, like, a, you know, an slightly older actor in like who's playing a priest in a wife beater and make him all tender and caring and tragic if you didn't want women to go i'd lick that <laughs> like, is, is that female <laughs> game i'm like i'm sorry you think they're like they're when they're first casting they're like the checkbox is like oh is well established knows theater work is also good at their lines is good socially as well on the on the set um a final checkbox lickable lickable yeah <laughs> like it has exactly. arm pull Ampon is so important. Like... <laughs> All right. To the writer's room we go. Out of the gutter and into... Because <laughs> Zoe's had some wine. As, as you deserve it. As you should. You hardworking exactly. teacher of youths. <laughs> exactly. Ooh. So we've got quite a few points. Um, the first one is a great one that you brought up, Zoe. So hopefully you can lead this part of the writer's room for us on a very, very fancy term that uh, <laughs> is sounds really cool. And I'm going to say it. So that way I sound really fancy too. So tell us about the theme of pathetic fallacy. 
synthetic fallacy is inscribing human emotions in inanimate like objects and situations and how they parallel each other this episode struck me as one of the best examples i've seen of pathetic fallacy in ages and the episode starts off with it going from the same kind of like cinematography and weather and scenes you've seen those gray tones and then a storm comes in and it was the first time it truly used rain and it literally was the weather has changed and literally within the first five minutes of this episode you knew it signified a changing point because not only are these characters weathering the storm they're literally weathering the storm because a storm comes in and it's so telling when Angela looks out of the window and it's from the point of view of the outside and you see all the rain running down her face and you can tell how like weathered she is how she's being washed out how she feels literally drained and her emotions are running wild and I feel like this episode definitely like from the moment I saw it was like oh my goodness things are changing and a storm is really coming now uh what you're saying Zoe I think it's just brilliant is the idea that all of this the weather that they shoot the rain it's a it's a direct parallel to everything that those characters are expe- experiencing right so when it's light and sunny then this character is also feeling a little bit light and sunny but when it starts going into rainstorms and thunder and lightning that is when they're also reflecting a bit of that um the emotional state of those characters and that's a, that's a conscious choice by the director to try to do that so I wonder what the purpose of that is because we've also seen the opposite too, where it's like, it's a sunny, bright moment. Like I'm just thinking of the last episode where we saw where she's in that dream sequence and it's so light and there's vein, but the, there's the vines that are coming out and they purposefully choose to go the direct opposite where everything around them is brightly lit, but it's this kind of like forced fake feeling. So I wonder what the motivation is behind choosing one or the other. They juxtapose a lot of like, imagery like sometimes when you have a moment of non-reality in television and cinema you make sure it is the opposite of what the reality would be so the scenes where it's all like oh lovely breakfast shiny is when you know something's going wrong because in a show like this every scene where you feel oppressed depressed creeping and fractured has been gray and dark and cold when you're feeling the demonic threat you've had those earth tones that those what i call the pus colors the demonic energy of the earth like this this show basically goes from like those earth tones to those kind of washed out colors mm-hmm. and you notice anything set in the house has washed out colors what made this moment different is that they actually literally bought on the reins. And it comes from a lot of theory of people writing about things like Wuthering Heights. And when everyone was in emotional turmoil, they had all the winds and the, the storms of the moor. This was the episode where everyone's emotional turmoil was at its highest because I know things have been bad, but we've had Henry seeking truth from lies, Pazuzu trying to find his angles, Angela lost in her confusion, battling with her own truth, Casey coming in and out of herself, battling with Pazuzu, Marcus face. There's so much 
turmoil in this episode. And the only way to really truly express that is to show the change in the weather because you're not going to be able to portray how this storm of emotion unless you show a storm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. I, 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 I've never heard that term and it's just, uh, thank you for adding to my knowledge and other things that I can use to impress people when I'm in academic conversation. <laughs> right. mm, yeah, so you also heard about some pathetic fallacy? Mm. Oh, you don't? Let me tell you. Let me tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other writer's room point is, Guy, you uh, were had, had a, some great uh, thoughts about how this episode itself is kind of this middle marker for us in the whole series uh you use the term that this is like our point of no return um so what did you mean by that from a writer point of view this is the moment you know that the um plots that have been given to you until this moment are now set in stone you know from this point on, you can only focus on what's going on with Casey, what's going on with Angela, who is Reagan, and what's going on with the Pope coming to Chicago. Everything else that could happen is just something to fill the spaces between these three points. Whatever is going to happen, to the characters, good or bad, is already decided. You can only go ahead now. Exactly. Right, they revealed exactly. the big secret from from Angela. So it's like, here, exactly. here's your pieces to the puzzle. Run with it. Have fun. Enjoy the, the, the ride. And then you also made a note that this is the first time that we also see the very yeah. like uh, intentional shot a bit with Fusilli's The Nightmare where we see uh, exactly. the demon oh, Pazuzu Casey. sitting yeah. on exactly um, on Casey. This is uh, the moment in which uh, the real meaning of uh, possession as something sexual is given to us in its wholeness. Uh, the Nightmare, Fusilli's Nightmare, is a representation of uh, sexual desire. Pazuzu sat on uh, Casey's chest almost naked because uh, he doesn't need his clothes anymore. The possession is almost done. So soon enough, he will wear Casey's body as clothes. So he won't need his sailman attire anymore. And uh, the demon sat on uh, the woman's chest is... Uh, the physical representation of male libido. So this is the the closing point of the connection between uh, possession as something sexual. Now we know that it's not sexual only for the women, but also for the men. Right. So the 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 idea that by even I love the idea that you're that you're throwing out with sexual natures of it, like that he's on top of her. He is, he, you know, she exactly. can't move. There's, there's so many different layers to that already where you, you have the idea of this, this weaker female that even if she tried, you know, she's chained up and he's got his little toes right there that are 
this little nasty toenails like right upon her neck that feeling of powerlessness um and it's it, it's nasty it's oh there's so yeah. many things in the show they're just they're gross and they're make me feel heebie-jeebie so the biggest thing that we've talked about in in this entire episode is this idea of truth i know that both of you had some great points regarding truth as temptation zoe as dichotomous uh how truth is revealed how it drives us why does it drive us drive us through this story i always i felt that in this episode pazuzu speaks truth Yes, truth revealed and some things were made light and gave us more answers, but truth was used a lot of the time by Pazuzu to do harm. And a lot of people like, you know, truth is meant to be something that helps you do good, helps you reveal secrets, help you be more open. And yet Pazuzu never spoke lies. He didn't tempt anyone with lies or deceit. He tempted people and he manipulated them by speaking their actual honest truths. And it's that one thing, it's like, where does evil come from then? If like, if evil is speaking the truth and you are acting on the truth, like what, like Thomas's behavior is in the eyes of God and his faith is considered a sin. But in the eyes of what Pazuzu was saying was like, you were a man that acted on your own truth and desires and what he wanted as a man. And it's so many interesting that there's all these power plays in place and the way that that's when you know something is evil, when it can manipulate truth as a force of good and turn it into a force to make you feel evil. That's that, that idea of the unclean thoughts, you know, as a, again, rise, growing Catholic, there, there was, there's a very clear things that in the Catholic religion that are, that are seen as sin. So it's like the Catholic joke, if it feels good, stop, you know, <laughs> that's <laughs> the, the idea is that they've, there's labels of if you are wanting to be a part of these carnal you know, temptations of sex. And they say, oh, if it's sex before marriage, it's bad. If it's sex after marriage, it's good. If it's sex of uh, man to man, it's bad. If it's man and woman, good. You know, so they're, as humans, we like to label things because it makes it makes it easier for us to figure out, okay, this is, this is the path to heaven. This is not the path to heaven. And so that's what the Catholic religion did. It kind of parceled out what's good and bad. Tina, I would like to remind you that sex between man and woman is good only if you do it to create a child. So remember. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Remember, no, no. Good clarification. Thank you, fellow Catholic. <laughs> oh, you poor Catholics. That's, that's but another, I think that's another, another label. What makes why Marcus is such a heroic figure in this, because his truth does not come from the labels of society and the church. His truth is in the face of God. That whole line, and when that first time you think, he might be gay and the fact that he brushes it off is like i'm not going to listen to that it's not because he's denying that part of himself he's like he knows his truth he, that's a part of him and he doesn't feel god hates him for the fact that he might like guys and therefore he's stronger for it right yeah. right Indeed. And, and yeah his 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 truth is serving god's will and it's his interpretation of god's will so it's that constant doubt i think doubt is a big part of the demon's arsenal they in this world uh, if they can plant doubt in you, you're one step closer to some integration and some some demon shit. So, uh, no, it's a big question. Like, what what is the power of truth? The truth the truth of who what who we are, truth of identity, truth of 
of linking to the greater good or God or whoever, whatever you want to call it, the universe or I don't have they the have answers. Like quotes, but like, truth will save you. And I'm like, truth can save you, but truth can also damn you. Yeah. And we see the different, the different faces of truth. We see at least four kinds of truth in this episode. We see the truth that is being kept a secret to protect the people Angela's love because she is afraid if she reveals the truth about who she really is, Pazuzu could find a way to hunt not only her, but her whole family. Then we see the truth that Pazuzu uses as a weapon against the Rand's family because the reason why he reveals the truth to Henry is to create a division between him and Angela. Then we see Kat's truth. If she is sure she is doing the right thing because she lacks the information about what's going on, that's because Angela is keeping the truth from her. And then we see the only truth that really matters. God is the truth make person, is the embodied of the truth. So it's not by chance that Henry finds out the truth about Angela inside the Bible. That's where we all should look to look for the real truth. That's brilliant. Again, like I never even occurred to me to think that like there is an actual symbolism of him opening up the Bible to reveal the truth of uh, Angela slash Reagan's past. That's <laughs> <laughs> we have lost Tina. Um, I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm just gonna be out here disappearing, floating off into space. <laughs> no. Um, and all this truth, I keep thinking, you know, like there's there's the truth our forever truth of, of trying to pursue what is truth in our life, right? Is it our truth to God, whatever you want to call it. That's, that's what we're trying to pursue. Right. And then the very opening creation sequence uh, in the Bible, which has, and which is, which is a, it's an old trope across religion. It's not the creation story in the Bible is, is similar across many, really many religions, but it's the idea that the humans are here. They're told one thing. So the serpent uh, figure, the, the, the demon figure, the devil figure, tells them that they're naked in the garden of Eden. And and they're like, Oh, that's the first time they're like, crap, you're right. We're totally naked. We're in the buff. And, but that's that first kind of in storytelling and old storytelling. when we start seeing the idea of truth being a path to now also evil, it's a path to uh, something that's against God. So it's like, how do you know which truth is the one you're supposed to follow? (laughs) Like it's, what a hard life we live as humans in this mortal plane, guys. Yeah, that's a very lot. true. Well, this is a great discussion. Did y'all want to? I mean, Deep shit, there, guys. Deep shit. I feel, like, I feel like every like every sequence, every time we do a podcast, when we get to the writing room, we get into these philosophical discussions, and I'm like, tune in next week when we might have more answers to this in our Exorcist and, TV show fan podcast, and we never do. The fun thing is that we never no. we never find the answer. I, I, I wonder why. 
probably why. Like, tweet us. Tweet us with your thoughts on existentialism and nihilism. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <of> fans. <laughs> okay. okay. So let's get into the much... I feel like this one's funny because it, it jumps into the most shallow segment, which is fun facts, Easter eggs. <laughs> No, so what I have are just bad puns. So that's where our, this is our, this is not a fun fact section. This is going to be a f- bad jokes based off of The Exorcist. Are y'all ready for this? Of course okay. we are. <laughs> bad pun, bad exorcist joke the first. Hey, did you hear that um, Pazuzu didn't like all the smoke in the church? Uh, you could say that he was so mad, he was incensed. <laughs> Um, this one is going to be more of a, uh, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> oh, uh, sister Bernadette caught Tomas trying on her clothes. She forgave him, but said, don't make it a habit. Oh my habit. God. Oh <laughs> my God. Okay. I am speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one more, but I think we're we're done oh with these. These are bad. Okay, one more, one more, one more, one more. Pazuzu walked into the room and he felt dizzy. He soon realized it was the smell of the Pope Puri. Yeah, a little bit oh, me just died. My God. <laughs> I think okay, we can okay, okay, okay. I th- I think we can close this episode with Gaia say, Oh my god. <laughs> the final segment. Our shout-outs to the Exorcist fandom. So we decided that we need to make a personal shout-out to the wonderful person who created the latest fan art that has everybody going, wow, okay, big eyes. Yeah, so exactly. It is by at Tasha Strawberry on Tumblr. Tasha Strawberry. And she, or he, or whoever they are, I don't know them, created the most beautiful Tomarcus fan art that I have seen in in a while. And I was just I immediately when I saw it, I was like, I have to share this with everybody that I know in the world. So I tweeted it, I doubled it, I put it in the Discord chat. I stalked them. I was like, you need to join our Discord. Come and be be one of us. <laughs> join the congregation. So, join the congregation. Uh, my my only thing that I was going to say was like clockwork crocodile. Cro- oh my goodness, words! I was going to say is clockwork crocodile has the most beautiful description of why Marcus is a sensual and sexual being, and I was yes. just like, oh my god, words and preach and perfectness. Yes, I just I, I read that and I was just like, that is truth. At clockhearted crocodile. I'm obsessed with your writing. I think as many of people are in the fandom, yes. your stuff is we we really are. golden. We really are. You are a gift from God. All the content that you also just spit out in the group chat, it's great. Okay, and then of course, as always, anyone listening, you're welcome to join in a conversation. Come and follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Tumblr. Uh, if you want to join the group chat, you are welcome. All you have to do is just DM us for any of the links and we'll be happy to send it over to you. Uh, we're now like 70 people strong. How big is that for a group chat? Isn't that crazy? Like seven zero. Wow. Like, that's big. So join in and thank you for listening. And that's thank it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>